In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse my heart and my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. After the Sabbath, and towards dawn of the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala and the other Mary went to visit the sepulchre, and all at once there was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. His face was like lightning, his robe white as snow. The guards were so shaken, so frightened of him, that they were like dead men. But the angel spoke, and he said to the women, There is no need for you to be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said he would. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead, and now he is going before you to Galilee. It is there you will see him. Now I have told you, filled with awe and great joy, the women came quickly away from the tomb and ran to tell the disciples. And there, coming to meet them, was Jesus. Greetings, he said. And the women came up to him and, falling down before him, clasped his feet. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that they must leave for Galilee. They will see me there. The Gospel of the Lord. O truly necessary sin of Adam, destroyed completely by the death of Christ, O happy fault that earned so great, so glorious a Redeemer. Do you recognize this line? You should. It's found in the exalted, the Easter proclamation sung at the beginning of this vigil service. Perhaps most people would have missed it unless you caught the oxymoronic contradiction found in two expressions, necessary sin and happy fault. If you consider sin as abhorrent to God and something which separates us from Him, what sin could be considered necessary? And how could any fault or mistake be considered happy? Why then does the Church use these strange expressions. The Latin expression, felix culpa, happy fault, is derived from the writings of St. Augustine, whose personal life was testimony to the truth of this maxim. In order for St. Augustine to have been one of the greatest converts to Christianity, one of his greatest theologians and pastor, he had to start off being a great sinner. This was obviously the case. Here was a man who had been schooled by his own father to frequent brothels since adolescence. As an adult, he would keep a woman in concubinage, what we would describe as a sex slave in modern terms. Then he delved into and experimented with various philosophies and religions where he sought to make himself feel better about himself despite his lifestyle. St. Augustine was truly a great sinner. But then grace touched him, moved him, and finally transformed him into one of the church's greatest saints. In speaking about the source of original sin, Augustine writes, For God judged it better to bring, out, bring good out of evil than not to permit any evil to exist. 
what St. Augustine meant here was that the fall of Adam was from one point of view fortunate, since without it, humankind could not have experienced the unsurpassable joy of redemption. How did he make this leap from sin to grace? If Adam and Eve never fell, Christ would never have needed to come. And so God allowed the loss of perfect human bliss through the original sin of Adam and Eve in order to bring about a greater divine bliss for humanity. From Adam's sin came the glory of Jesus Christ. The remedy dished out by God goes far beyond restoring us to that Edenic state. God never goes backwards. He's not taking us back to Eden. He's making light years leap forward. If you are convinced at his argument, not convinced at his argument, the whole of scripture stands as irrefutable evidence. By eating the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge, Adam and Eve are now prohibited from tasting the fruit of the tree of life, which would have guaranteed them immortality. Now one may ask, what's wrong with that? But here comes the Felix Kulpa bit. If man had not been denied immortality at this stage, he would still have to suffer an eternity of sin, an eternity of the effects of sin, alienation, suffering, pain, etc. In popular culture, vampires view their deathlessness as a curse, not as a blessing. Death to them would be a welcome relief to a never-ending existence of pain, misery, misery and lovelessness. Still not convinced? Well, let's look at the other events in the Bible. If humanity had not sinned by attempting to build the Tower of Babel, we would not be blessed with a myriad of cultures, civilizations, languages that have emerged throughout our human history. If Joseph had not been betrayed by his brothers and sold off to slavery, he would not have been their saviour when the land was struck by famine. If Moses had not run away from Egypt as an act of cowardice, he would not have been chosen by God to lead his people to freedom. If David had not committed a transgression and adultery with Uriah's wife Bathsheba, Solomon would not have been born. If the temple had not been destroyed, the church, the body of Christ, who is the new and perfect temple, would have remained a dream. If Judas had not betrayed Jesus, Christ would not have been able to redeem the world through his sacrifice on the cross. While God never actively wills sin and disobedience, he made the option possible in order that we could freely choose to love him instead. Adam and Eve's decision was never unknown to God, nor was the outcome. From all eternity, God knew that his rational creatures would choose to rebel against him, and his divine plan incorporated Adam's sin from the very foundations of the world. Eden was not plan A, and the incarnation was not plan B. God becoming man so that we could participate in the divine life of God through grace was the idea all along. The incarnation and the death and resurrection of Christ was always, always plan A. Though, through baptism, we are inserted into this great plan, this great mystery of redemption. As Second Peter tells us, 
we will become partakers of the divine nature. This vastly exceeds what God would have done for unfallen men. The beauty and perfection of Eden pales against the beauty and perfection of heaven. All too often we run from our mistakes, we reject them, or simply live in denial of them. The failed work is quickly set aside, and worse, all too often initial mistakes, initial failures discourage us and prevent us from moving forward. The Paschal Mystery The mystery which Good Friday and Easter reveals demands that we learn to recognize that hidden within every mistake, every human error, every shortcoming, every failure, and even in the greatest of falls, is the seed of the resurrection, where even sin can be transformed by a single moment of grace. Indeed, rather than cast aside his fallen creation, God reaches into the failure and tragedy of human sinfulness to redeem us. This is the mystery which claims us in Christ, and the power of this same mystery is what heals us in the sacraments. O happy fold, O truly necessary sin of Adam, that earned so great, so glorious a Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.